is there, she knows I'm there, and heaven knows. I hope she goes. I find it hard to realize that love was in her eyes. It's dying now. She knows I'm crying now. And every night I'm there, I break my heart to please. Eloise, Eloise. You know I'm on my knees, yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustles, John Lamoureux. Okay, as we discussed last week with our guest Dave Robinson, co-founder of Stiff Records, I wanted to bring on someone who was one of the bands that he founded and and discovered and brought to the world with Stiff and its Rat Scabies, drummer of The Damned. Now, I love The Damned. Uh, they're one of punk's most important bands, the first to put out a single, first to put out an album, first to play, all those kinds of things. They don't get the credit they deserve, unfortunately. Um, and I, I mean, Rat's a legend in this area. Now, what's really interesting about Rat, the last few years, he has a bunch of side projects going on, like half a dozen of them. We touch on all of them in here. I didn't play songs from each one. I wanted to, but if I had, it just would have been really kind of crowded. But the main one we talk about in here is a band called the Sinclairs. It's him and guitarist Billy Shinbone, who plays in former guest Neville Staples' band. And the music is really kind of, it's surf rock and some rockabilly and some psychedelia. And they just put out their second album, Long Slow Death of a Cigarette. It's great. So I want to know what gets Rat excited about collaborating with someone and why they pick the music they pick. And I mean, the guy could do anything. He's a legend in the punk world. What makes him choose these projects to be a part of? So we get into all of that. Now, you might remember that a few years ago, Brian James, the guitarist of The Damned, was also on here. And I didn't want to cover the same ground as I did with Brian. So really, and everyone kind of knows that, you know, the first histor historic punk band stuff about The Damned. I want to focus a little bit more on the 80s part when they become more of a goth band, because I don't know that part as well. And so that's why you're listening to Eloise right here, which was a huge hit for them. So we talk about kind of that the change in direction and style and what brought that on. You might have seen the documentary that came out a few years ago on them called Don't You Wish That We Were Dead, and it's great. But at the time, they were split in two. There were two versions of The Damned out there. They have since mend fences, and they play the occasional reunion show, which is great. We want them to get along with each other. Um, but there's just a lot to this story. And get this. He also, Rat... Uh, is a grail seeker. He searches for the Holy Grail. Like it's been a, it's been a, uh, a hobby of his, almost like a passion for decades. He also used to build these guitars out of cigar boxes. So we talk about these things as well. We talk about the money they made when The Offspring covered Smash It Up. We also talk about when they filmed their scene on The Young Ones. There's a whole history in here of wild, wild stuff to get into. I think you're going to love it. He called me from his home in London. I'm looking over your website, and uh, I know that it hasn't been updated in a couple of years, but there are, I think, five different musical projects being promoted on there. 
And uh, <laughs> it's there's just a lot. So I know we're we're going to mostly talk about the Sinclairs here, and I and I want to, but I want to touch on all this other stuff too. So out of the gate, I put on the new Sinclairs album, and mm-hmm. already I'm kind of knocked out because there's vocals, and the previous album didn't have any vocals. And I'm wondering, no. oh, this feels like a full-bodied, this feels like an actual album. This feels like someone had in mind pop songs and lyrics and things like that. Tell me about what went into the creation of this Sinclair's album. Well, I should explain the first album, Sparkle. We wanted to make some money, really. It's, <laughs> it's partly why we called the Sinclair's. Oh, <laughs> that's why that is. <laughs> One of the reasons. And so, we, so we hope we could pick up some sink money and uh-huh. maybe get the ads and, you know, sure. the usual kind of stuff. And then um, we did that and we, we didn't really get many sinks at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, not necessarily anyone's fault, you know, apart from Mother Nature and lockdown and COVID. You sure. know, so that sort of shot us in the foot for a while. And um, Billy Shimbone is, 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 has always been a songwriter over a kind of instrumentalist. And uh-huh. uh, he, I just said, well, you know, because we, we did a couple of other tracks with some singers just by way of uh, we did a, a Halloween song mm-hmm. Halloween with Paul Ronnie Angel from Urban Voodoo Machine. Mm-hmm. And we did Pillow Fight Skies, which was a Christmas market because again trying to be smarter than we are we thought well if we have a halloween record and a christmas record every year at halloween and christmas (laughs) and it'll be a pension so we we, but those tracks with the vocals have been very well received you know and and i i said you know it's really not going to hurt if we get some vocals on it you know and it's jesse had those four tunes that he you know that he kind of I don't know what he meant to do with them, really, but uh-huh. they, right, he's very prolific. Yeah. Then we started thinking about who who could we get to sing them to do them justice, and we didn't really want the kind of run of the mill thing. So pretty much everyone we got is is sort of reasonably alternative and left field, you know. Yeah, uh, very much so. One of my favorite songs on the album is "The Colonel." Bus drives into the river. 
You open your mouth and the words drop dead in a song. Your heart is boiled bacon and you think with your liver. And it's gone on for way too long. deadly detractor you drink the devastation that keeps you feeling strong but then yeah we you've got kid congo powers on there and i'm just i and, and another one speaking of which um too much time and it's got mm. a couple of uh japanese singers that i wasn't aware of i've heard of their band after i looked it up later five six seven eights eight nines or whatever <laughs> you know that's all yeah he really knows immediately who they are yeah they they were really great you know Added a great flavour to that song having a Japanese accent on it, and yeah. her approach to the vocal as well was very, if you like, un-Japanese. You know, because you know Japanese vocals tend to be very kind of sweet and uh-huh. sort of good word. You know, it's all very uh-huh. high red. And she didn't go for that, and she, you know, and and kid as well. He, you know, he, what he did was sort of really unexpected and it's probably the most deadpan vocal I've ever heard in my life. It's, <laughs> it's, it's great. So do you, like, for instance, I the Too Much Time song, when you're writing that or you and Billy Shinbone are putting it together or whatever, are you thinking, you know, this song really needs are some Japanese vocals. I'm going to call yeah. Yoshiko and Akiko and have them come do this. That's their names, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know. Um, Billy sort of writes it, sends it over to me, and then I kind of mess with it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, well, I, I put the drums on, and, and we turn it into kind of a, a what resembles a normal backing track for a song. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's okay, but, it, it you know, you you, you got to make it more interesting than that. And yeah fantastic you know and they're interesting in their own right but to make it more so 
you know, I'll kind of use since recordings that I've made of water running down a plug hole or samples <laughs> or penguins or anything that kind of uh-huh. is that also fits in with the, with the song and, the, you know, the kind of what's going on around it. But at the yeah. same time, you're not really expecting to hear. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, hopefully we, we managed to keep it more interesting that way. I think so. On cell phone lost in the Arctic tundra, I'm at first I'm thinking, what a what a strange name, and it's one of the instrumentals. So I'm thinking you could have called this anything you wanted. And this is the this is what you decided the song needed to be called. And then at the end, you hear the cell phone ringing. And before I and of course I do the thing I'm sure you meant for everyone to do, which is I pick up my own phone. Where is that coming from? What's going on? I'm in the car, you know. Like, did someone leave their phone in here? And then I realized it's part of the song. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. That was absolutely the idea. <laughs> but you know, on that particular track, you know, it's. Um, Billy again, you know, kind of painting with words because he, yeah. it'll work ten words where three will do. So he's very lyrical, and so when he comes up with the titles, it's just it, well. In that particular case, it triggered me. So all of the kind of weird noises are animals from the Arctic. Yeah, it, you know, the uh, <laughs> cell phone at the end, just the title of the song. You've got to get it in there. <laughs> you do. Uh, yeah, I fell for it. I did the exact thing you wanted to happen with that song. Um, I was saying when I was listening to the first Sinclair's album, Sparkle, there's no vocals on it, and it sounds great. Like, uh, Lipstick Rumble is a great song on that one. And your ju- drums, specifically, are so good.
One thing I think is really interesting about legendary musicians like you and the side projects they choose to make is that often their side projects are a genre of music that they grew up loving, but that's not their primary job to make that yeah. kind of music. And I wondered if that's the, cause this is basically kind of surf music, elevated surf music. Is that, yeah. was that like your favorite thing? No, <laughs> really? No. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, surf music's okay, and the twangy guitar thing, you know. Uh -huh. I, no, I think my favourite surf was uh, John and the Night Riders did a live album that I used to play all the time. It was just really great. But for for me, they kind of did it all. So I, you know, I, I was never a big fan. I was always more kind of into, um, well, pure pop like Mark Bowie, Sweet, those kind of guys, and and kind of very heavy guitars you know like well yeah. they sound too heavy these days but you know i used to really be in love with the sound of a distorted guitar it was kind of it's there's nothing quite like a wall of volume you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. but, uh, <laughs> I, I, and then sort of a bit later on i got more and more into sort of the eno school of thinking of you know and i really love the here come the warm jets album and i just yeah. listen and then I, I sort of, much as it went against the grain, I, I remember listening to the Joshua Tree album, mm. and not liking you two at all. You, you know, not, not, not liking them. It's just that well, there they are, they're doing that thing. It doesn't really move it much. And but I listened to that album with the headphones on, and just listened for the kind of Enoisms. Yeah, yeah. Bits that he, he, he admits himself. You know, the quietest things on the record. Yeah, and I love mm -hmm. that way of thinking, and I thought you know that kind of stuck with me. And I, I, I guess so. When a song like Too Much Time turns up, it's that's in the back of my mind is to take something conventional and make it kind of sound slightly wrong. I love so, that. Is that. Um, Daniel Lanois was on here a couple of years ago, and we talked a little bit about the Joshua Tree and their how they go for sound and. Yeah, it's in the silence. That's where a lot of the power is. Did you have the kind of any any sinks? Any what's the what's going to be the 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 potential here? Where where do these songs go? Well, nowhere really. I mean, we've got uh, there's one splatter gore movie in Australia called Rib Spreader that we got some tracks on. I think nice. But not much. We. We don't really function like a normal group. We haven't got a manager or anything like that. Oh, okay. We've never our, our first live shows like in about ten days or something. Okay. And we, you know, because during the lockdown, nothing was working and nothing was really carrying on. So, with the release of this album, this is kind of like you know, it's like being a new band and saying, "Yeah, know we are." Notices. <laughs> so you so, are going to go on a tour as the Sinclairs. Well, I wouldn't say we're going to do that because we're not really very well known, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. how many people are going. Um, we've been doing this a long time and, and doing all of that hurtling up and down the, you know, the long and winding road that keeps on going and, you know, getting home at four in the morning and not really making any money and just yeah. being, and it, you know, we don't want to do that. We So we'd rather get like a special event or some friends or something. There you go. Move 
to a different, slightly different audience. If we can, yeah. you know, kind of like Dan fans and Neville Staple fans. They, you know, they they kind of the those fans will already know about us and yes. we're already there or not. Yeah. So just to try and broaden the horizons a little bit and get us out to a slightly wider audience, you know. Yeah, it can't be easy. And I was I mentioned, I alluded earlier to all the different projects you have going on. I mean, there's Professor and the Madman, there's Derwood and the Rat, there's just so plus the damned, plus I think there's one other that I may have missed. Anyway, it it's a lot. How do you choose where to um, focus your time? Um it's not that difficult really. I'm I'm you know, I um all of the all of the bands we work with, 1,000 Motels is running. That's the other one. I was thinking Mutants, and I knew you changed the name, yeah. You know, I, I really kind of like the music that, they, they, that those bands and those people create, and it's it's always a pleasure to do. It's not kind of like hard work or anything. It's something yeah. where I can't... You know, you feel kind of inspired sometimes. You want to do things and when a good tune turns up and people that have got good ideas and are kind of good to work with, you know, then it makes the whole thing kind of like a big pleasure. Yeah. Well, and these well, guys are all friends of yours, right? I imagine everybody I've mentioned, you have a history with them. Um, correct? Not particularly, no. Oh, oh, I assumed you did. Okay. I mean, I, I just ran into Professor in Melbourne when I was at uh, you know those dreadful parties that you Americans have with Christmas. <laughs> it was at one of those. So I, you know, there's a guy with Rudolph with a flashing nose, and you want to come up and jam. <laughs> so that was how I met them, you know. And then I went down and did did a track with them, and then one thing led to another one, and then you know, uh, one thousand motels. That was. I literally got a phone call when it was a mutant saying, you know, do you want to come and play some drums? And just the sort of number of people and the, again, the quality of it was, it was kind of good, you know, I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Do you, is it always physically showing up in a room with these people or is it like dropboxing, you know, files back and forth? Hey, rat, we'd it, love, we'd love you to play on our new album and they send you a song and you play, add some drums and then you don't think about it again um yeah okay much well just geography you know professor and a madman for example yeah. are in california oh it'd be crazy to try and send me out you know yeah. to do it yeah. it's not cost effective so i i just go in the studio it's the um it's the loneliness of long distance drummer <laughs> <laughs> Derwood, you know, again, had to be the same way, really, because it was, you know, just distant, and we were still during the lockdown, so I kind of did that one here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, was this, were a lot of these lockdown generated? You know, we've had two years there or more of nothing to do. Why not make music with friends when they ask? Well, yeah, that's partly the thing, is it, you know, is what else are you going to do apart from... Yeah. Which chair? <laughs> yeah. What, what show am I going to stream this week? Let's see. Yeah. So I'm. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, I'm like I say, I'm, I'm kind of lucky because I, I like the projects I'm involved with. In fact, if I don't like the projects, I I, I won't do it. Really, it's sure. just why would I? Sure. Yeah. By the way, happy birthday! I meant to say, wasn't it your birthday like two days ago? Yes, it was. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Happy birthday to you. Um, yeah. Now, do you have damned responsibilities at all anymore, or do you just? Pick and choose your moments, or what's the state of the damned? Um, well, we're all on much, much better terms than we were before. And we're talking Good. and quite friendly. And there, there, there are some plans for, to do some stuff together, but we're not really, you know, we're not really quite sure how it's all going to pan out yet. So we'll see. But that was the, you know, the great thing with the reunion tour really was that everybody, you know, this, you know, and. The, um, what be the right way to put it? Everybody wanted it to work. Mm, that's nice. You know, and the the money was a great incentive for that. You know, yeah. it's what got everyone back in the room. But at the same time, as it went on, it became more and more obvious that we weren't going to do it half heartedly. You know, everyone was kind of determined to. Mm -hmm make it sound good because let's face it people have been listening to that album for since 1977 <laughs> and that's what they've heard i didn't want to lose any of the excitement in those shows by doing it such a long time after the event you know yeah i was really pleased because we like you know i don't think we i don't think we let any of the audience down i think people were pleased with what they saw when they were there and what they good. heard does it um this might be a a dumb question. If you, if the, if the damned reunite and they go out on a tour and you play and, and it's billed as we're going to play damn, damn, damned all the way through, does that get better ticket sales than just saying the damned are reuniting and you can play whatever you want on these tours? Um, do you, I guess what I'm asking is, do you feel anchored to the, just that first album or can you get out there and expand and play Eloise and, you know, alone again, or and everything else. Here's the thing: is I don't, I I don't think I'd be interested in just joining the Damned again. Uh huh. Okay. Get back on their regular working pattern because they're they're already doing that. They've got an album. They've got a drummer who's more than capable, and they you know they're kind of quite happy doing their thing. So I could see, um, I could see us getting together for um, say some festivals or something like that. Uh -huh. Maybe next, but. You know, it, it depends on what's on the table and if people okay. are for it. Because, it, you know, it, it's, believe it or not, you know, the dam is quite a big sort of organisation, really. Yeah. There's quite a lot involved in it. Yeah. It's kind of like a large machine that has to sort of gather momentum and get going and things. So, you know, they, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, you know, okay. but stuff may be going on, but, it's nothing sort of written down or carved nothing in stone. Consistent. Okay. If the right offer comes along, you got to play a festival or something like that. The four guys get back together and play it and make a little money and then go back to their lives. I rewatched the documentary uh, the other night to get ready to talk to you. And I, what I was sort of taken with, and I know the time has passed and a lot of those bridges have been uh, mended, but of everyone, you seem the most kind of like you could take it or leave it, you mm. know? And I wondered, oh, what's that? 
got used to it by then. Maybe. And I wondered, like, what I, what is, does Rad have more financial security or something else going on that it makes it less of a high priority for him than the other guys? Um, well, first of all, being in the damned isn't my decision. Ah. It's not something I can just waltz in and out of as I see fit. You know, it doesn't yeah, work. Like yeah. It's the first thing. So, I, you know, and um, one of the things about being rat scabies is that everybody thinks you, you only, you know, I only ever did the damned, and, and that was kind of all there was to it. But yeah. I quite like going out and playing other things, like I saw with Donovan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you doing played this- with Donovan. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Wow. No. <laughs> um, which, of course, is a, a very, very different thing to very different. And so, I, I like that. You know, I didn't learn to play the drums to play the same songs for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I. What I used to enjoy was always moving on and. Um, not necessarily progressing, but you know, doing things differently or learning and feeling inspired. That was mm-hmm. what it's all about. So, having to do something like Donovan or, or, or the Mutants or something, you know, that suddenly a different kind of musical vibe and a, and a feel is is it's that's why I do it. It's a challenge. It's a, and it just makes you feel like a real smart ass if you can pull it off. <laughs> I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you the it. I've watched that damn documentary a couple of times, and every time I get choked up when you get choked up when you're talking about. I'll never forget. I wrote it down. I remember even the first time I saw the documentary a few years ago. I posted it on face this quote on Facebook because I was so moved by it. We had everything we ever dreamed of. The one thing we didn't have was the will to play, and I. And you get choked up. Why do you? Why is that such an emotional memory for you? Well, because everything we'd ever dreamt of, everything I'd ever dreamt of, we'd achieved. We'd got there. Yeah. You know, we, we, you know, big hotels, air conditioning, you know, catering, roadies, you know, managers, agents. It was, it was a, it was an ongoing thing, and it was, it was something that I'd always loved, and. I, Fought over, fought with, and it was such a huge part of my life. The damn, mm-hmm. and then when you actually, when you're on the top of the pile like that, and you just, there's just the amplifiers humming, and nobody knows what else to do because it's been kind of been knocked out of us. We'd spent so much time on the road that we just really didn't know what where we wanted to be or what we wanted to do or where we wanted to go with it. Mm-hmm. And that for me was the absolute end of the dream. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, okay, this, this couldn't get any worse. You've got everything, but actually you've got nothing at all. <laughs> so interesting. Regular guys like me think being rock stars is like the dream job and success is what we're all shooting for and working for and trying for and but you're not the only one to tell that story that once you achieve it there's such an emptiness there that it doesn't fill the voids 
No. No. And you you have a a yeah, you know, because you've you've got so much, you sort of think, well, actually, you know, I can walk away from this and it's not gonna hurt bad, you know, because and you know, that's uh, kind of what I did, I guess. It's just Yeah. I'd rather not do it than be and hate it as much as I did. Yeah. yeah well, I hate it as much as I did, you know, but the excitement's sort of gone. Yeah. You're playing the song, you don't feel the groove because you kind of know it. You've done it mm -hmm. a hundred mm -hmm. times before. Yeah. You know, that when I felt like that, that was really, you know, that was kind of, why am I even here? Yeah. I, I can have more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm guessing at that point too, Captain's off with his solo stuff. Brian's off doing, you know, Lords of the New Church. It's you and Dave. And I've heard you quoted, in a, I'm, I'm reading this book right now on the history of goth by John Robb and um, the damned have a chapter in there and in it and in the documentary you mentioned in the 80s were basically selling Vanian by the pound and uh, which I think is kind of a funny quote. <laughs> it's basically like the captain who was a big, you know, visual focal point of our band for a while. He's not here anymore. So we're going to hook everything on to Vanian being you know, Dracula or whatever, and kind of ride that out as long as we can. Well, kind of, yeah. And it, it was that. What happened with Dave really was that it's a long story, but basically we would, we did the uh, Young Ones TV show. I was going to ask you about this, yes. And um, because the show was video nasty and they wanted us because we were horror, you know, kind of. Uh-huh. So we all had to kind of make up and the aging and the cobwebs and, you know, all in black. And I just looked at us and I went, Dave's the singer. He's the front man of the band. You know, Captain's great on that side, but, you know, really, uh -huh. really want to make proper money in showbiz. And Captain did have happy talking stuff going on in the background at the same time. Uh-huh. And if we really want to do this, we should, you know, let's adopt an image, a strong commercial image, if you like. Yeah. And um, let's do that. Let's see how that works. And, you know, I wouldn't say time was running out, but we weren't getting any younger. True. Yeah. So, you um, know, it, well, well, I was going to say, what do you remember about filming The Young Ones?
because I, I grew. I remember that show. Oh my gosh, that was a huge, impactful. I even have a Young Ones T-shirt, and I was going to wear it for you this morning, but I wore it the other day. It was dirty. <laughs> um, the explosions were really loud. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, they, they didn't come across in TV like they did in the studio. I mean, when, oh, that's funny. When they blew out, it was like, whoa. Uh-huh. <laughs> really went. And uh, it was, yeah, for me, I mostly remember the, the kind of band thing about it and looking at us. And because we didn't really have that much to do with them. You know, we mm. sort of chatted to Rick Mail for a bit, and A. Edmondson, but, you know, that. It kind of everybody was busy doing their thing, you know. It was a live show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. that, that's okay. my best. Okay, was was the Dams kind of morphing into more of a goth band than a punk band? Was that con- Were you conscientiously doing that? Was that no. No, no? You just were creating music, and it just so turned out that it went well, that well, way. Dave had always been Dave, mm-hmm. and I. I say he was, you know, him and his then wife Laurie were the first goths. I, you know, I'd never seen anybody else that looked like that apart from in a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and Dave was was had always been like that, and had always looked that way, and had always dressed that style. And you look, at, you can look at any pictures, and Dave Banyan is always, yeah, Dave, that gothy kind of look, you know, and. And so, as I said before, when we, dis- you know, when we were selling him by the pound and it was kind of, like, well, let's all back up where you do it. Let's not have a big lumpy difference. Let's all <laughs> don't be in the same gang. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was a deliberate sort of, we turned into goths. What we did was we decided to follow Dave's lead. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. And that makes sense. And that also reflected in the way we made the record and mm-hmm. the kind of sound that John Kelly tries to achieve with it. You know, we wanted it mm-hmm. to be kind of slightly haunting and, you know. Yeah. Right, so, so it was, there was never a kind of real, well, let's be goth moment or anything. It okay. Was just sort of naturally fell into that direction, I think. That makes sense. Um, do you have moment i mean do you look at those like strawberries and phantasmagoria and those out do you look at them and as lovingly as you do those earlier ones or oh, do they feel like a different band to you no 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 i am um, I, I actually strawberries and you mentioned it's i hadn't listened to it for years and years you know because i uh-huh. i would with sad images the old musician sitting there listening to his album <laughs> And, um, and then the, the guy who was driving us, he he put on Strawberries, and he said, oh, it's one of my favorite records. And he, he just, yeah. you know, and it was like hearing it for the very first time. It was kind of, and I realized that I would probably been a damned fan, even if I wasn't in the band. You there know? you go. Yeah.
That's true. I think my favorite damned album is Machine Gun Etiquette. I feel like it's just, uh, it's so thick and like muscular compared. I like those first two albums too, but it almost like the, the sound got fuller, you know, more blood through it or something by that point. I like that, that one. Well, well, yeah, maybe it's a bigger budget or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I love that album. When you look back on those times, are there songs, it feels like through the first two albums, your drums didn't get the do, the, the sound that it fully deserved. I There's like a lot of cymbal crashes. And I just think no one quite crashes the cymbal like Rat Scabies. He's the master, you know? Did you feel like your sound was getting, you know, advertised as it should? No, I didn't know anything at all. Oh, really? <laughs> I just played the cymbals like that because I love the way they sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, yeah. Yeah, you're the master at that. I know a rat scabies cymbal crash when I hear it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'd never been in studios before, really, when we did the first album. I think, you know, I think Nick Mason made sure I had a, much more defined drum sound for the second record but i think there was a lot less symbol on that yeah true true it's funny when brian was on here uh, a few years ago we were talking about the nick mason album because it's it's so funny to me that he of all people would produce that album when punk in general was meant to be an antidote to bands like his you know we're coming along because you people like pink floyd have bloated this thing, you know, beyond existence. Let's pair it back to the essentials. And then the guy who you're fighting, you're rebelling against is the one producing your album. Right. Absolutely right. And, um, okay. Here's the first thing is that, um, everyone is damn like early Pink Floyd when Sid Barrett. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that was Arnold Lane. Let's see how many play. That was kind of, if you like Pink Floyd in the, if you're in the room with us, that was what you liked. Yeah. But up to the point of stadium, dark side of the moon, massive, huge, blah, blah. And the music becoming, um, very formulated even, I think, you know, it was kind of, you know, I'd listen to echoes or something. I think this is great. This is really, you know, mm-hmm. it's an experiment in sound. It's a journey. It's a concept. It was, you know, and then that kind of kept on 
being repeated, and I think that, that was a lot of the boredom. But I think we were ready. We'd done the first album, and we knew that we couldn't really just repeat the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. We'd for the second. And I think Brian and certainly Captain were thinking, well, if Floyd are involved, we can go, we can be psychedelic. Mm. Mm. And I think Brian certainly wanted to make a psychedelic album. I'm pretty sure Captain would have preferred to. But it was a case of really that um, men in, you know, I think also the management and business people behind the band thought that for the American market, having an association with Pink Floyd would be a good thing for sales. Oh, interesting. Huh. I, I, Did it work out that way? <laughs> well, nobody knows. We never got. We That's got true. <laughs> when you find the the album in the shops, it needs to have like a big sticker on it, produced by Pink Floyd's Nick Mason, so everyone yeah. can. Whoa, really? That's different, you know. Probably did. Yeah, <laughs> probably did. stiff but yeah so those were the reasons and there were other reasons why you know because i don't think we were really ready to make that album anyway i think i'd you know again same old story you know you have a lifetime to write the first one and and a month to write the second yeah we rode again all the time touring constantly and really the band was running out of steam and it was you know Really, we, you know, I'd have said we should have taken a year off mm-hmm. and, and you know, regrouped and got some fresh ideas and rethought about it and got over what was going on around us at the time, you know, which was, yeah. it was a very weird period, the whole punk thing. And as it erupted everywhere, it became, you know, it was quite strange to not really be a part of it, you know, because the Pistols and the Clash never really thought of the Damned as being one of their contemporaries. We were always yeah. kind of, you know, we were always kind of distanced from them a bit. It's such a shame. You got. I thought it was, uh, I think all of you guys touched on that in that documentary eloquently, how whenever anyone makes a documentary or a movie about the 70s, it's always got to feature God Save the Queen. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
but where's new rose or where you know where why not why can't a damn song be used to to yeah. explain a decade or a or a period or a genre, you know, or a movement, but it just doesn't seem to be picked often enough. No, no, it's. Uh, but that you know, I, 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 my own feeling is is probably because um, there was so, you know, nobody really knows who owns damn stuff. There's been <laughs> changes of ownerships, whereas I think um, the Pistols run. Uh, EMI at the time and Clash yeah. runs a couple of majors that I'm pretty sure st still have everything under contract and probably have a lot of influence in terms of what gets used in things, you know. Yeah. Yeah, stuff. definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. I, um, I, we touch on kind of the business side of things, as you, as I mentioned, sensitively on here. And I wondered, we've talked about sinks and, paychecks and festivals and stuff like that when the offspring did smash it up did mm. you see a, an uptick in mailbox money around that time for that cover Massively. I wondered. I wondered. And in fact, it made me want to quit. Really? I Well, suddenly there was the biggest check I'd ever got. And, you know, this is, this is nothing detrimental to offspring here. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I've met them, I know them, I like them. You know, this isn't sure. their fault. <laughs> But I got this check, and I was like, why the fuck am I bothering? And, you know, what, 15, 20 years with this band of slogging around, playing, you know, sweating blood, bruises, egos, you know, everything that yeah. being and entails. And then one break, and all of a sudden, it's more than I probably earned in the whole time I'd been in the band. It was... It was quite surreal, and it was why bother? You know, I'd yeah. be hiring someone to go around and hustle sinks for me. You know, <laughs> that's the business, ultimately, isn't it? Yeah, playing that yeah. game. Yeah, when Brian was on again, he we were talking about Guns and Roses covering you guys, and what a major you know windfall that became. Similarly, and yeah, I I, I find that interesting how. 
people's financial situations um, motivates or unmotivates their creativity or their drive for creativity, you know? Yeah, very much. I think, you know, it's, I, I think it's one of the secrets of the music industry, really, is that if an artist ever makes any money, they stop working. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They don't because they don't have to anymore. And I know? suspect Illuminati in the music business know this. <laughs> That's true. So in a backhanded way, it's for our own good that they keep us poor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that hurts and that's sad, but it's probably true. Oh man. Um, okay. I we're gonna go a different direction here. I hope this is okay to ask. You mentioned Mark Bolin earlier. Are do you really hunt for the Holy Grail? Yeah. So I no. didn't I know there's like a series and a book on this, which I didn't know about until getting ready to talk to you. But this is for real. Mark Bolin well, was into this too, apparently. Yeah, as as for real as it can be. My my parents were very um alternative thinkers. Okay. And Again, it's a bit like the 14 school of thought. You know, science can explain 99% of stuff, but what about what it can't explain? You know, mm -hmm. what, what is the explanation for that? Mm -hmm. So I growing up with all this kind of stories and things, you know, and I knew about Art, King Arthur and the legends and stuff, and Mark was onto that. So we'd sit at the back of the bus talking about all this esoteric stuff, you know. And, you know, he was... He, Mark was a bit more into the magical side of it than I am. I'm a bit more practically minded than, uh, but he told me, you know, he spent his time in Paris uh, just before he uh, broke big, really, mm -hmm. and living wizard, <laughs> and who taught him, you know, kind of, kind of had put him on a guidance of what he should do next. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so that that was the me and the Mark connection with it. Really, was mm. you know, um, but then you know the, the the quest for the Grail isn't really a, a quest for something. It, it's a part of a story that I found out about about this priest down in the south of France that suddenly became fabulously wealthy. Lots of mysteries, secret societies occasional murders and it ran right up until kind of 1953 mm. particular mystery of this priest Berenger Saunier in a village called Grand Le Chateau and it ran up to about 1953 so you still go there and the church is sort of quite gaudily and bizarrely decorated and um, it's still the way the priest left it decorated and he, they said that there are clues hidden around the church as to where the treasure is so so far so good and then you come on to well what could the treasure be where would a priest get treasure what mm -hmm. could it be and the knights templar and the cathars were all very predominant in that region both rumored to have the grail as indeed were the visigoths and others invading parties there so the grail kind of is part of that story as to what mm -hmm. could it that you found and so you find that when the chateau itself is, is a great catalyst for other kind of esoteric -y things to look at Got so it. so you know i sort of find myself in rosslyn chapel and you know places like that and a lot of old churches really you know uh-huh uh-huh 
ABCs, you see, another bloody church, another bloody castle. <laughs> oh, England's got a lot of them, so yeah, there's well, plenty to look at. France has got even, has got even more. Oh, um, that's true, yeah. But there isn't a, I, you know, uh, my understanding of the Holy Grail isn't that it's an object as such, it's, um, it's all about the journey. Yeah. And the things you find out about yourself, better or worse, along that journey. And the grail is the sort of, I guess, when you get to the end and you're full of self-realization and feeling quite smug and content with yourself. Interesting. So do you, I mean, does the Holy Grail literally exist, do you think? Or is a well, metaphor for just searching for treasures and finding oneself in the journey? It's the metaphor, I okay. believe. Yeah. Having said that, I do know of the whereabouts of at least four objects that all fit the description. Really? <laughs> Holy Grail, and they date, and they're the right kind of thing, and there's okay. you know, a few of them. <laughs> wow. Wow. I've never known anyone who was invested in this. That is fascinating. Oh, I, I'm, I hope it's okay to ask. I mean, I, I was, uh, it's on your website, and I thought, is this for real? This is fascinating. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, and this has been a drive of yours for decades, it sounds like, if it goes back to Mark Bolin. Well, I grew up with it with my parents. Oh, okay, true. Good point. Yeah. And have indoctrinated into the whole thing, really, more than, yeah. you know, so I, I, yeah, it's kind of, okay. I to you know to be able to hold up a conversation yeah is there is there at all a religious aspect to this are you a spiritual person or a religious person or is it separate i wish i was mm. okay i i'd love the the sort of comfort that i see you know religion gives to people yeah and i'd really like to have that yeah. you know but i don't yeah. so it's worm food and that's it you know <laughs> yeah. i know i find myself stuck between the two a lot my heart feels the first way you said and my brain feels the second way you said and uh it's hard to know God has a image. what's that God has a very bad image yeah especially these days the and christians are making christianity really unappetizing these days yeah, uh, well, it's become radicalized, which yeah. is never, and that's not really the point, you know. No, it's the opposite think, of the point. I agree. I think churches, full stop, uh, they're all such corporate giants mm -hmm. that really, I think it's very difficult to find the true meaning of it now. It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was quite interesting. I was asked to join the Masons. Oh, really? That's the suit of it or not, actually. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe I'll bet not. I grew up Mormon, and there's a lot of similarities between Mormons and Masons, so I, you can say whatever you want. Um, no, it's just interesting, because um, the guy who was asking me to join, he said, you know, would I be interested in joining? And I said, well, no, because, you know, I don't believe in God. Uh -huh. He said, well, what do you believe in? So I said, well, there's a universe, and I'm in it. And he uh -huh. said, that <laughs> That's all we need. 
And that's what semi-unitarily thinking of the God's image. Yeah. We don't think of him as universal. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, you know, he's more often portrayed as a, as a deity, mm-hmm. as a long beard sitting on a throne, you know, you know, and a lot of the concepts are difficult to understand. How can you be everywhere at once? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, the universe is everywhere around us at once. Well, so, that's true. That's true. You know, I don't know. I, I yeah. ways of interpretation really. I think it all goes back to the uh, well, pagan and yeah, yeah. You know, before there was anything, people would just look at the stars, the clouds, the trees, the mountains, and go, "How did they get there?" That's it's right. Just, it's felt, yeah. That's right. I had a I had kind of an epiphany recently. I realized I realized everyone everyone has their own idea of who or what God is or isn't mm. and every one of those people think they're right. And mm. when you when I when you realize when you think of it like that it's such it's so personal, you know? I have my interpretation, you have yours, non-believers have them, devout believers have them, people in the middle have them, everyone interprets it, you talk about interpretations and, you know, and how we, and it's all kind of about that, and I believe that too, because every one of us has figured it out in some way, and we all like our idea best, and that means there are literally billions and billions of ideas of what God is, you know, or is it? Well, exactly, it's... um... It's a real kind of a can of worms, to be honest. It is. Thing that, you know, and that's exactly the reason how church evolved, was because everybody has an idea, and then it's like, let me clarify this for you. (laughs) What it is you believe. Yeah. Or, yeah, or it's like, hey, I kind of feel similarly. We should get together once a week and talk about it. And then yeah. a couple other people are like, oh, I, I'm similar. I'll come sit with you guys, and we'll talk about it around the campfire. And then eventually it's raining, and you think, well, we should probably get under a roof. And then we should yeah. probably build walls. And then we got to pay for this, so we should take collection plates. you know. And then it just evolves and evolves and evolves. <laughs> so anyway, um, before we go, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say as a final, there's a reason the Bible is the big, biggest selling book in, of all time. Exactly right. Whoever reads that book will open, will get their own interpretation from the words written in it. It's, it's a work of genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it but anybody that reads that, no matter who they are or what, you know, because let's not forget nearly all religions from all cultures and backgrounds all basically stem from the, the same stories. That's right. That's right. It's, it's a wild racket. Well, in um, some. And tied it all together like a yeah. pot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, last thing, real quick, before I let you go, tell me about the guitars. Do you still make cigar box guitars? No, I haven't made one for a long, long time. Really? What was that? Tell me about it. It was very therapeutic thing to do. Really, it was. Um, my son came home one day with a cigar box, and I just. I was just sitting there looking at it, and I remembered this thing that people used to make guitars out of them. And I had a timber and some old machine heads. 
And then I spent two days staring at the box and the bits that I'd got and trying to figure out how to make it work and how to put it together, you know, and, uh-huh. uh, which I did. And I made the first one and I showed it to somebody and they said, I've got some cigar boxes, you know, mm-hmm. if you make me one, you can have the other two boxes. And it just kind of snowballed. Wow. And, uh, As like know, a side hustle, another business for you. Well, uh, not big business. I mean, okay. Not enough to live off just a hobby. No, but enough to kind of sometimes, you know, pay the food bill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. And you haven't done one for a while. Why? Did you just lose interest or just over it or what? Too busy? Well, there's that to a degree. But really, the um, it got really popular. Oh. <laughs> so all the good cigar boxes, all the cool ones, sort of are now horribly expensive. mm Mm. hard to come by and sell it almost immediately and the whole thing about the ones I did I used to like the recycling element of it I used to like finding bits of old wood in, you know in builders skips and things like that and mm. nuts and bolts off the floor and you know and just making it work yeah uh, that element sort of went out of it quite a lot you know it sort of as soon as you know, just and yeah, you know, the weather's been real cold. I don't have a workshop or anything. I just, okay. Just into it. You know, that's kind of, yeah. Cool. Oh, I want a guitar made by rat scabies. I'd pay for that. Oh man. You might yeah. have to go back in business. That would be fun. Right, well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Last question. Do you guys, is there any chance that the damned are going to tour anywhere in the States? with the original guys i've seen the damn once it was on halloween night in 2002 and you weren't there obviously and uh in san francisco at the great american music hall and i'm wondering is this ever going to happen or do you just do uk stuff so far we um there hasn't really been an offer that makes it worth doing i don't think i know they were talking about it and it seems to make a lot of sense but i um not immediately maybe in the new year something might turn up but as far as i know it's not at the moment sorry okay well that's okay i was afraid of that um well look uh rat you're a legend a lot i love just about everything you've ever put in the world thank you for chatting with me it means a lot and i think the sinclair's is a really fun project for you I hope you enjoy it and it brings you the sinks and the success you want. Thank you very much. All right, there you have it. The Great Rat Scabies. Isn't that interesting? Plus, isn't that the greatest like punk rock name ever? I love it. And uh, go check out The Damned more. They deserve more. And like he was saying, I don't know why they aren't selected more often for sinks, as in Sinclair's, for with damned songs when sort of showing or or... You know, when shows define or talk about the culture of the 70s, I don't know why. I wish they were. Now, one of the bands that he that we talked about in here is called A Thousand Motels, and he does it with Chris Constantino, who was the guitarist for Adam and the Ants for a while. This is a song of theirs called Definition. I, uh, I wish that I could have shown you a little bit of everything, but it just would have made everything so crowded. So I want to end with another one of his side projects, which is really, really good. He and Chris are great together. And by all means, if you're up for it, uh, check out the Sinclair's new album. As I said, The Long Slow Death of a Cigarette. 
Hopefully you heard some things in here that you like. And again, if you don't know The Damned, or you're not that familiar, or haven't dove, dived, whatever it is, in, do, because there, there's a lot of variety in there, and a lot of it is great. Now, next week, well, the next three weeks, actually, we're kind of focused on the 90s. Next week's guest is probably one of the lesser-known people that we've had on. Um, they are a singer, great singer-songwriter that I've been a fan of for about 20 years. They started in the mid to late 90s. Um, never had, like, wild, massive commercial success. But if you like that sort of acoustic-y, Jason Isbell-type, slightly country Americana singer-songwriter vibe, you're going to love this person. I, I'm a big fan. I'm really happy and proud to present their story to all of you. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy. Uh, you guys can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. No bonus material just yet. But uh, I'm working on a few things, maybe a couple of deep dives. We'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks, folks. We love you.